All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Everybody, DJ Nubis with you with a new episode of the Hordes of Chaos, episode 83 on the Metal Tavern Radio podcast. Got a lot of shit to get to you today. Uh, definitely got some um, topics to get to, a little quick stuff on some obituary news. Also got a uh, see, what, got a uh, some seasons to talk about for our new Cobra Kai, but also the boys. Uh, also got a doc that I watched today about the Challenger flight, and like I just got to reminisce and talk about that a little bit because I was alive and well when that actually happened. That tragedy actually happened, so I got a lot to talk about on that as well. A lot of new music coming your way as usual. Uh, a few classics in there as well. Uh, later on. We're hoping to have our special guest and frequent commentator Edgar Allan Poe to call in later. We're going to talk a little bit about sports for you sports nuts out there. Uh, it's mainly NFL, but we'll talk probably NBA basketball a little bit too. But uh, we're going to kick off this first block of music. Brand new stuff by Heathen. Been expecting this for a while now. Uh, new album's pretty solid. I really like most of the songs on there. Not quite everything, but... Uh, Pretty decent record. So I also got some new Demolizer as well as some classic Pestilent Rain that I really love a lot. So brand new stuff from Heathen. Here we go. This is called Devourer. Yes, I can do miracles. Show the world 
right, DJ New is back with you. So, uh, in 1984, basically, I was probably about 14 or so, and, you know, the big movie, one of the big movies during that year was Karate Kid. And, uh, that movie, like, really did well. I remember just, one of the things I remember most about it was, uh, the ending sequence to that movie, how, like, people... It was the first time i ever seen people in a movie theater cheer, like, at a movie, like, at the end, because you were so into it, so excited about what was going on. And, uh... So, it was just one of those experiences as a young kid that I enjoyed a lot, and I enjoyed the movie. Spawned a couple sequels. The, uh, third one, I can't remember, it was a girl that replaced Ralph McKeo, but, um... Uh, Second one got a little more serious, but it was still pretty decent. But either way, it never really matched the first one. That's usually how it works with, you know, main movies and their sequels anyway. But anyway, you kind of forget about it all. And then about a couple years ago, YouTube, when they started up their own YouTube channel to compete with Netflix and everything else, uh, ended up doing the first season of Cobra Kai. And... Uh, Basically, it was a real hit. It was like a cult hit. It was really good. It was well done. You brought back two of the main characters, uh, Johnny Lawrence, uh, portrayed by William Zabka, and you have uh, Daniel Russo, portrayed by Ralph Macchio. And, uh, of course, now everyone's older. And if you didn't really follow much of the... Um, actually, I think Karate Kid, the movies, had four sequels because there was one where... Uh, the sensei for Cobra Kai came back and there was like this tricking of getting Daniel to sort of fall in line and uh, get beat up again, whatever. But anyway, um, where was I at? Oh yeah, so you had Johnny Lawrence and Daniel LaRusso. They're much older now. Uh, of course, Lawrence's character in season one, we find that he's really struggled to... Uh, be the kind of guy that he was. Uh, Cobra Kai had pretty much been dead at that point. Like, LaRusso had pretty much single-handedly knocked them out, destroyed their reputation and everything else with it. Um, we find out Lawrence does have a son who he has a strange relationship with. Meanwhile, LaRusso is doing great. You know, he's got a, a great marriage, a daughter, and, you know, he's running car dealerships and he's got money. So he, he's doing everything that he it was opposite when he was a kid. You know, he was really struggling with being bullied by Lawrence and his buddies, etc., etc. And then, of course, what ends up happening in season one is we've got Lawrence coming up with the idea to start up Cobra Kai again to teach. Mainly because he discovers this kid that lives across from Miguel who is also being bullied. So Lawrence is sort of having this like reevaluation of what he did as a kid, how his sensei taught him, how he's kind of reacting to how badly it was because his sensei was pretty shitty. Um, so he starts Cobra Kai and he's actually helping out a lot of these kids that are, you know, being bullied and not the most popular. And, you know, that he's giving them a sense of focus and, uh, motivation as well as uh, confidence to go out in the world and as with everything you know 
teenagers have their own issues, whether it's like dating or being bullied themselves, etc., etc. And at first, you know, LaRusso doesn't really know this is going on. Then when he discovers it, he gets kind of mad. Like, we start to find out that Dan, uh, Danny LaRusso and uh, Johnny Lawrence, like, their, their, their past hasn't quite been healed. So there's still a lot of bitterness there between these two guys. So McHugh, of course, decides that he's going to start up his own dojo to compete because he feels like Cobra Kai is just ultimately bad and can't do anything good. And uh, he doesn't like what's happening. And of course, again, like some of the students from Cobra Kai are involved with some of the students for Miyagi-Do, which is LaRusso's dojo. And it's always these love twists and everything else that's going on. Now, season two, what we learned in season one was that Cobra Kai actually won the tournament, got back on top, but we also learned that Johnny has sort of lost control of his students in the sense that they're still doing shady things to win and win at all possible, no mercy, etc. And uh, so going into season two, we're just it's just right after Cobra Kai wins the tournament that uh, you know LaRusso's kid is no longer really interested in Miguel, who's the champion of Cobra Kai. So, and then, of course, uh, Johnny Lawrence's son, who's now being taught by LaRusso, so there's, like, this conflicting interest all throughout the second season of what's going on. Now, the interesting thing for me about all this is, as the season goes on, you're seeing transformations, and you're also seeing these guys more humanized, which is something you never saw in the movie itself. Like, it just... Obviously, you only had two hours to really get everything into the original movie, but with the series now, you get a chance to kind of see these guys, how they're not so perfect in every way, but yet they're not all totally bad either. You know, we start to see some of the cracks in LaRusso's character as his success has sort of driven him to a point where he's not very forgiving, he's hanging on to the past, and he doesn't want to give the benefit of the doubt to anything. And whereas Lawrence has, again, reevaluated some of his teachings and the stuff that he grew up on to try to be better, and he wants to make Cobra Kai better. Uh, but again, you know, what happens is the old sensei for Cobra Kai shows up, uh, Kreese, and he's wanted to remain the Cobra Kai past where it's just like, we don't give a shit, we're going to hurt you, we don't care, we'll strike first, etc., and so there's this conflicting thing where Johnny's trying to be accepting to the to Kreese coming back because Kreese has fallen on hard times as well, but Kreese always has an alternative motive, so there's this battle between the two senseis about what's going on with Cobra Kai, which also makes it hard for Johnny to kind of persuade or convince LaRusso that he's not really the same guy. And like I said, again, all through this, you know, the kids are dealing with high school issues, the inner fighting, whatnot. But there are some really great performances here, um, mainly because I think that Zolo Meliduna, I believe is how you pronounce his name, from Miguel, he's really good as an actor in this. Um, I'm also very uh, 
impressed with uh, Jacob Bertrand, who who was a nerd turned bully. He's like one of the biggest like assholes now in Cobra Kai, but he's also the most interesting as Hawk. Like he has his big ass mohawk. Uh, he's a good fighter, uh, but he's facing a lot of his own past demons uh, as he's trying to get it out. And of course, we are introduced to Tori, who's a new chick who comes in and she be, starts to become the love interest of Miguel as Robbie, who is uh, Lawrence's son, is starting a relationship with LaRusso's daughter. So again, here's that, that mishmash of feelings and emotions and that's all contributing to all the chaos around them. Um, but I started thinking about this with this show is that, and I don't know where it's going to go and they are going to do a season three, but... I kind of liked the idea to myself that if Miyagi-Do and Cobra Kai can find a way to coexist, like if you can get rid of Kreese and his teachings and Lawrence and uh, LaRusso can come to an understanding, there's actually a lot that both dojos and styles can benefit the kids that they're trying to teach and make better people. So it, that's more just me looking at it from the outside and I'm just, you know, I don't know what exactly is in store for season the season two ending had a very a very very tough ending so obviously there's a lot that's still going to be a lot of chaos there uh one cliffhanger at the end of the season two is if you don't if you ever saw the first movie the love interest between Lawrence and LaRusso is of course Allie uh played by Elizabeth Shue and uh, there is a moment in season two of Cobra Kai where Lawrence is kind of just in a bar. He decides to text Allie. He finds her on Facebook. Him discovering the internet is one of the funniest fucking things in the show. Like, I kid you not that William Zabka does a fucking phenomenal job here. You kind of overlook him in the movie because he's not really, like, so much to focus as it is Daniel. But as... They've focused on both guys in the series. You find that Johnny's character and the way it's portrayed by Zabka is just amazing. Like, just I love all the wretchedness of uh, Johnny. He's driving. He was driving like a, a, I think it was a Challenger with the Cobra Kai yellow and black on. It was fucking awesome. Uh, plays Metallica and heavy metal. You know, it, it just. But then when he tries to talk to people about how to set up a laptop, you know, it's. Just fucking hysterical. And then when he finally gets on the internet, he's like, oh, wow. Nudie pics. You know, it's just one of those things. So, uh, there's a lot of good comedy in it as well. Um, a lot of great acting on all parts. Uh, some people think season two may not be as good as season one. But I think I think it's only because now you got to kind of feel out how you're going to explore the series. And I really think that if they go the way that I hope they go, that it's really going to be fucking amazing once they get to the end. But right now, you kind of start in season one where LaRusso was kind of like the dick. He, it was like role reversal. And so you were kind of cheering for Cobra Kai to win at that point um, because you're pulling for Lawrence to kind of get redemption there. Um, season two, it's sort of going right back to the same things, but I think a lot of it has to do with Crease. Um Crease really is like the the flying ointment here. He's the one that's the poison pill. So if you're watching this series or going to, you know, you're going to expect to see a lot of this back and forth between who you like and who you don't. Personally, 
Uh, I'm Team Johnny because I, I, I'm really pulling for the character to pull out of this and to sort of get his own redemption. Not only from self-reflection, but just in general, like, to be able to prove to not only LaRusso, but anyone else who doubted him that he can be a better person. Um, I will say there is an episode in this where you see some of Johnny uh, Lawrence's buddies from the movie, the first movie, come back in as cameos. So, um, not really cameos, but just uh, their characters are back for a particular episode. And I think it's really cool that they're doing that. And if they bring uh, Elizabeth Shue in, which there's some possible signs that it's going to happen. I don't know how long she'll be in it, but uh, I will fucking love that. That would be so awesome. Uh, I'll get to her later because she actually was involved with the series The Boys, which I'll talk about later. But uh, great show. I really love it. Cobra Kai. It's on Netflix now, the first two seasons. Check it out. It's fucking totally worth it. Now we're going to get back to some music. New stuff from Second to Sun. I also got some Windsor Reflection and... Fionisi, I don't even know if I pronounced that right, it's F-J-O-S-N-I-S-S-E, I have no fucking clue how to pronounce that, but it's their fucking good band, I've liked them for a while, but here's new stuff from Second to Sun, Leviathan.
Enclave and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Check this out. Alright, DJ Nibus, back with you. Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, episode 83 of the Hordes of Chaos. A couple things to get to here. Uh... First one uh, is an article I found on blabbermouth.com regarding obituary. Um, I'll actually play a little bit of them later, but uh, apparently they decided that they're going to do a live stream of not only the entire record of Slowly Rewrought, but also Cause of Death. Um, they're going to do Slowly Rewrought on Saturday, October 17th, and Cause of Death on Saturday, October 24th. And they'll be streamed from the studio in Tampa, ESI. Um, the third stream, I guess they're going to do, and they don't have a date for this one, so I'm not sure exactly how or when it's going to happen, but they're going to do feature rare classics and special tracks and will be broadcasted live from a Betroy's recording studio in Gibsonton, Florida. Now... I guess they say there's tickets on sale, so I guess they're charging to do this. Now, personally, I understand why a lot of bands and artists are doing these kind of things, but I'm just not really down with that. Like, I just... If I'm going to spend money, I'll buy your merch all day long. Even if you put out a record that you're not touring for, I'll buy it if I like it. But as far as, like, live environments and stuff, like, I obviously I can't go out to concerts and stuff right now like most people there's some other some places you can go and catch a little bit of live uh, action if they've allowed a certain amount of people in their bars and venues or whatever but as far as like paying like money for someone to get onto a camera and play that's I, I can't do it it's the same thing with you know purchasing these movies on on demand like I'll rent, like, movies for, like, six bucks, but, and I know why they're kind of jumping up the prices on some of these things, that, because they don't have anybody going to the theaters, but it just defeats the purpose to me. I, I just, I can't do it. I can't see myself paying 20 bucks to watch a movie on my couch that I should probably be watching in a theater and getting that theater experience. So the same thing with the concerts is... I'm not going to pay, you know, a certain amount of money to watch you play a live show in a studio on TV. Like, I'm, it's, it's just not the same thing, and it's not worth it to me. You're better off actually just recording these things and then maybe selling them uh, on DVD or some shit like that. Like, I just, I don't know. But they got to do what they need to do to try to make some money. Uh, but you can purchase this as long as well as I guess they have the bundles for all three concerts and exclusive merch at obituarylive.com. So if you're interested in doing that, go to it, my friends. Uh, I'm just not going to do that right now. Not me. Uh, anyway, moving on. I saw a doc earlier today. It's like four episodes on Netflix. It's called The Challenger Flight. And for those that aren't aware or are too young to remember, 1986, uh, there was a Challenger for NASA uh, when they were still doing all this, the shuttle launches and whatnot. And it, the big deal then was they had one particular person, Krista uh, McCullough, who was a school teacher who had no astronaut or space experience who was going up for the first time. It was like a big deal. I just remember 
all the uh, news and whatnot. This is even before the internet and stuff like that. So to be a big deal and still make the papers and all that, it, you know, it was a big, big deal. Anyway, 70-something seconds after takeoff, uh, when it launched, uh, the shuttle blew up. The, there was a problem with one of the uh, side rockets with the fuel that just broke open and exploded the whole fucking thing. And The good thing about this, or the decent thing about this uh, series is that it really showcases a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. You get a lot of the interviews with people who were involved and around back then, family members, uh, staff. Uh, I didn't even realize that. I forgot at the time that there was one teacher when it got down to ten of them that they were going to decide who was going to go up. Uh, she was actually the backup to McCullough, and you know she's in there exclusively as well, talking about how great Krista was, and you know just the whole night, and how she, they had footage of her the day of the uh, explosion and everything else. So <clears throat> there's some really heartbreaking stuff in there, some video footage. It still pains a lot of the relatives and people who were there. There's a couple of guys who it kind of angers me now because I didn't know her so much back then, but these guys were interviewed and they, to their credit, they stuck by like, you know, they say that one guy says, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I was responsible for that, what happened that day, but I really don't feel any guilt about it. Uh, it wasn't in a sense that he was trying to say he enjoyed them dying, but I guess he just felt like he made the right call and he was standing by it. Same with this other guy who basically, you know, was saying, well, you know, going up in space is a risk every time we go, and, you know, I'm not going to feel bad that, that's basically what I was, I'm not going to feel bad that, you know, something happened when we had a lot of other successful missions. But the problem with this and the problem with my, with their viewpoints and why I don't really like them that much <laughs> is that the day of the launch... Uh, actually, a couple of days before the launch, there was all sorts of problems going on. And one of the constant problems was uh, the issues with the O-rings on the, the, sh the what do you call it? the rockets next to the shuttle that were descended up. And those were really, they had faulty O-ring problems that they were testing. And this is actually kind of going back to... Uh, some prior launches like they had, a couple of years earlier they had some guys go up and even though they got off successfully uh one of the issues after watch looking at the the remains of the the rockets was that they were indeed faulty and on the day of the first the first time they were going to launch there was a heavy uh noise from the engineers to not send it up like they really had some massive issues with this and of course some of the other higher ups who self-admittedly threw pressure to get off like I think it was like 11 launches in the year of 86 they had died 9 the year previously like you have to understand during the early 80s this was like a big deal like to America in general just the whole space program and having all these people go up there and have these successful launches and, you know, Reagan and everything else. This is just big thing, big deal. Uh, a lot of American pride. Uh, so here it is. NASA is kind of being forced by the government to 
keep the success rate, the interest up, I guess. As with most fucking things with our politics, it always becomes down to politics and, you know, somehow, like, swaying the people to be one way or the other. It just, it really angers me about politics. I can't stand politics, but it always plays a factor in some shape or form. And, you know, in order to keep their budget, NASA had to have, like, a certain amount of, like, launches in 86 and... They were trying to keep on a time schedule. None of it, to me, is a good excuse for sacrifice and safety. I kind of see this with my own job, um, even though a lot of that falls on me. So, like, if I get into a truck for Amazon that I'm delivering in and, you know, brake lights on, I won't drive that truck. I don't care if it's something minor. I don't care if, uh, you know, one of my dispatchers says, you, you know, do you want to just tell you? I'm like, no, I'm not taking this truck. <laughs> Get it fixed. And, you know, unfortunately, the astronauts that went up didn't have any control over any of that. You know, they, they couldn't just sit there and say, well, we're not going up. I guess they could have, but they had put their trust in all the people who were working this to be right about their stuff, to be making safety the priority. They didn't know half of this shit going on behind the scenes where engineers were arguing with these managers about like you know whether or not this thing should go and then of course the day after when they were supposed to go up you know it got really cold this is in january when all this is going on and even though they're in florida that's really one of the colder times of the month a lot of wind a lot of cold uh drops in temperature at night and uh you know they i guess at some point the shuttle and the, the boosters and all that they needed to have these like water sprayed on them constantly so they didn't freeze up which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because they ended up freezing up anyway so by the time they woke up like five or six in the morning the following day there's all these icicles and shit on the fucking ship and the rocket so they had to delay that even that so that they can get the ship melted off and and of course we learned later that the o-rings themselves don't react well once they've hit, hit a certain temperature or low temperature. They, they, you know, O-rings are supposed to kind of like um, stay fluid and like, you know, be able to move back and forth and withstand some of the stuff. But if you freeze them, they no longer have the ability to expand, so then they can split. And that's sort of what happened here when they discovered it later on. Part of the problem here, though, is... NASA, after the explosion, decided that they were going to uh, try to avoid exposing that uh, responsibility. And they, so they were trying very hard to find other ways to blame something else. And it wasn't if it wasn't for a young woman who had handed another guy who was on a panel to challenge NASA a piece of paper showing the data regarding the O-rings and what temperatures they would... Uh, become faulty with that's what exposed NASA and all the idiots over there in that side of events and just basically found them guilty of negligence and really they should have been criminally charged it, like to me it's just one of those things where like you can't just wipe it away and say oh it was just you know oversight it really wasn't uh, now there's a couple of guys who were on the panel that gave verification to go ahead with the launch that have like you can tell extreme sense of guilt about it over the years, and they get pretty emotional in this um, documentary about it. 
one thing I did not notice was uh, Peter Billingsley, if you've ever watched A Christmas Story and Christmas Day, the young boy in that, he actually was very uh, into the NASA program back then and actually was there the day of the launch, like they're there. And uh, he's really excited and, you know, he's, he's actually interviewed, of course, this is years later, he's interviewed as an adult as he's reflecting back on all that. And so I found that very interesting as well. Uh, yeah, so I think what you learn in this is NASA for a wild time period in the early 80s was just very, very arrogant about our space program and to the point that they were willing to sacrifice uh, cutting corners with safety in order to meet their certain standards and to keep their money flowing. And even though we had success with uh, other space shuttles after that, I think the last tragedy we had was maybe 2005 or something like that. It was when a challenge or one of the uh, shuttles was coming back in the uh, atmosphere and it blew up. But that was really the only other disaster. But apparently, according to what they say in the doc, is the issues with that particular tragedy also lead back to more of the, you know, shit with like faulty equipment. So. <laughs> Seems NASA kind of over time, you know, they sort of got their shit together and then they didn't. Um, it seemed like it was much better when they created a task force to which NASA would have to uh, report to. And the task force was the ones that recreated the, or redesigned the rocket boosters that would get the shuttle up and made a much bigger improvement. But the whole program was shut down in 2011 and... You know, that's basically it for that. I just think that people kind of lose interest in it like they did before the tra tragedy and all that. And just that you can only do so much with the shuttles. You can only do so much. Like, that. they haven't even been back to the moon. Like, that's, to me, that's just kind of funny. Like, we go once and then we're never going back. Well, why not? Or why not try to kind of go beyond that? I don't know. It's just... It seems like we kind of just got stuck in a rut where we're just sending people out in space to float around for a while and stick out satellites and whatnot. I mean, that's all fine and well, but after a while, you got to try to reach beyond that, and we just never did. So I don't really have a problem with us stopping the space program. But it's a good doc. Uh, it's like only four episodes. They're like about an hour each, and it's worth checking out for you if you want to interested in that kind of stuff at all. Uh, let's get back into some music. Got some classic stuff from Obituary and Ulcerate in here, but we're going to kick it out. Brand new stuff from Carnation. Spirit Excision. Yeah. 
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you DJ Nubis, Metal Time Radio Podcast, Episode 83 of the Hordes of Chaos, getting ready to break into our rock lock. Got some uh, new stuff from Izon and Knight. Also got classic stuff from Dawkin and Warrior Soul in there, and then to bookend both. Speed Stroke, provided by Atomic Stuff and Memora. Carnival Creation provided by Inverse Records. Um, gonna kick off our rock block from that speed stroke track, Soul Punks. Here we go. <laughs>
life in the fast lane? Do you have the need for speed? Well, if you're a racing fan and want to be a part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champ and flat card season. You can be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line at Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Gillsburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Capital City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing, and they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar.
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. DJ Nubis, back with you. Metal Time Radio Podcast, episode 83 of the Hordes of Chaos. If you did catch us a few episodes back, you might have remembered a good friend of ours and regular Edgar Allan Poet. Did a nice little horror theme topic for us last time. I think while we picked our top five favorite horror movies. Was that what it was? Yes, sir. It was a lot of fun, too. Yeah. And then I think even a few months before that is when I first interviewed you. That was a nice little conversation we had, too. Yeah, we, we have fun. We, we do have fun. So this time around, uh, you and I, we've always kind of touched on our love for sports. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit of NFL football. And I know that uh, I said earlier at the show that might touch on a little bit of the NBA because I know that's a big thing right now and you're a Laker fan. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm the enemy, boo. <laughs> it doesn't really phase me too much. I mean, I'm not even really a Nuggets fan. I just, I kind of like want to see them succeed because I'm from there, but... I do too. Like, if you if you look back at some of my comments, I've been on a... I'm, I was higher on some of those teams than a lot of people were, but we'll, we'll get there. We have to talk about the... Graveyard. <laughs> yeah. Broncos. Yeah. Speaking of horror, our our entire team is starting to have a bunch of dead bodies. Uh, just yes, sir. It's so retarded. I mean, we're only two weeks in. Um, I don't want to touch too much on the politics of it because obviously we skip that. Well, we skip I just that. I wanted to make a point because I was kind of surprised. Um, I had initially gone into the idea that. I probably wasn't going to watch football this year because I was really kind of tired of all the nonsense. Not that I was tired that people were standing up for what they believe in, but I just feel like they need to be separate entities. I need to be able to come in and enjoy it for what it is. And to my surprise, I'm actually quite happy that outside of the National Anthem stuff, it's all about football. Like, I don't have to worry about, you know, I mean, I do see the uniforms and the stickers, but I don't even care about that. So I'm kind of yeah. pleased that it's not being overshadowed by some of the stuff that I thought it might be. So that's good. So I just want to make a quick point about that. That's that's all I wanted to say on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to add something to, to that because it, it, it works well with what you just said. Um, you know my particular persuasions, and we won't. I won't beat you in the face with that and whatnot. But the, the politics of the league, the biggest political thing about the league right now is just COVID. Right. You know? So it's this year, 2020 is such a cluster. Um, everything is a cluster. You have the coaches, the coach debate with face mask and all that. And it's like, um, I remember there was a time in football when there was a five yard penalty for incidental face mask, a 10 yard penalty for face mask and a 15 yard penalty for face mask. So it's just how the world turns, I guess. Yeah. I was going to ask you how you feel about all that. Like not just. You know, how like right now we know that like stadiums are either empty or like half empty, and then you're dealing with like ratings. So, 
I wonder how much of the ratings actually play into not only the politics part of it, but like COVID, uh, just... It's so complicated because, <laughs> so, um, last year or two years ago when the Anthem thing popped up, there was a lot of talk about ratings. And then on the back end, when they figured out how to adjust for or account for like streaming, mm-hmm. right, yeah. the numbers were back to normal. And so I don't bring that up to, to get into the Anthem stuff so much as I never knew it was so complicated to figure out how many people were watching a program and, like, how you adjust for people in a sports bar if they're even open watching a program and whatnot. So my response is I think we'll know the answer to that question in, like, six months or a year or something by the time they get all of the data. But it, it is interesting. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be probably even longer than that. I, I don't really think we're going to know until we have everybody back in the stands to really kind of gauge, like, how it is. Like, I think that really... I think people do miss the live part of it. Like, I just... Yeah, I mean, because a live sports game, um, it's not quite apples to apples, but I'm a huge college basketball fan mm-hmm. and a big college football fan, right? right. And college sports... The, the atmosphere in those stadiums is unique, right? Like, right. it's just because you got all those young people there, and then you got all the old people who went to the school living, you know, not not vicariously. That's not that's not fair, right? But it's like that enthusiasm is, is different. And in the NFL games, you know, if you're watching, I don't know, the, the Browns versus, who's another crap, the Jaguars. <laughs> in London, that might be cool, right? But right. If, you, if you get, like... You know, week one, Saints versus Bucks. If that stadium was full, that atmosphere would have been electric and like a college game. And so it's just, it's nice to see it on TV. I'm glad we have it, but there is something missing. Yeah, you know, it's funny because the pro level, it, it, it is energizing, but like, as you said, college is like a whole different animal. Like that is just their fans are rabid as far as the student sections and all that. So you get ninety thousand people in a stadium. Like I mean, some of those stadiums, it's, it's like well, they can fill the you know the the horseshoe because half of Ohio piles into it. You know, <laughs> right. it's just it's just nuts, man. And when we get that back, we it will be you know when this all ends, if it ever ends that first week, whatever that first big event is or that first big season is, it's going to be so cathartic. People are going to be going nuts. Like in Philadelphia, you're going to have Eagle fans fighting one another, but kind of like Vikings in a happy way. Is, right. Is, is what I would project. But So oh, we talked boy. about uh, the injuries that have plagued us. So what we've lost, because we're Denver fans, so we've lost uh, Cortland. Everything. Uh, Everything. Yeah. Locke is out for a while. We oh. lost Vaughn earlier. So, like, just everything and anything go wrong is going wrong. We've lost two corners, too. Um, and then, the, here's the best way to summarize it. We lost that inside linebacker. We signed Mark Barron. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's not the best signing, but it's a really good signing considering who's out there. Right. Two days later, he's out for a couple weeks. It's just... It's I wa- awful. Yeah, I wonder how much because you know you saw what happened with like the Niners, like they've lost a lot of people, and it's like I wonder if all the preseason stuff and the 
conditioning stuff is really taking an effect here because of all the COVID. I wonder how much of that's actually playing a big part in all this. I mean, it, I'm in law school. I'm not in med school for a reason, you know, but I, it has to, right? Like common sense dictates that, you know, I don't doubt that a lot of those guys, like look at Davion Clowney, right? Mm-hmm. He was, a, you know, he signed a week or like, what was it, like three days, four days before the season, goes out, plays well. Now, granted, Clowney's one of the most talented players in the league doesn't always play up to it but it's like you look at that guy and you're like oh okay it's not that big of a deal then you look at um you know jimmy garoppolo and he has that ankle issue and you're like well you know that could happen to anyone at any time (laughs) and then you look at the broncos and you're like yup it matters (laughs) yeah it it matters a lot for us just for consistency reasoning and you think about the preseason games and now even though they're just kind of testing out the young players and going through the motions at least they're kind of like sort of stretching their legs or getting the feel of the game and that's how they use that to measure when they get to the fourth preseason game that you know you got all your starters in there finally getting used to the whole game so yeah, now right. now now we switch to directly just going right into game one and all of a sudden just shit's going to crap all right just like that and it's it's like i mean you look at a lot of linemen have been hurt and that makes sense because it's you know you look at like you take a really good guard or an average guard, a guard who's good enough to be in the league, and he lines up in front of some 3-4 nose tackle who's good enough to be in the league, and that bad boy is weighing 330 pounds, and he can flip a Mack truck when he's bored. And they just go full speed into one another, and that's dangerous in and of itself under normal conditions. Right. So it just, oh, my God. But, you know, we have we have lost so many people. Like we were saying on break, Jerry Judy, you know, the guy I was banging the table for all offseason for us to draft. You know, uh, those drops were bad, but, like, you see the speed, you see the quick twitch, you go, yep, that's why he got picked in the first round. Mm-hmm. Gets hit going over the middle. He's a game-time decision. Um, mm-hmm. Something I read indicates that he'll probably miss the game, but that that's just speculation. But it's like, that, that happened just off of a normal football play. So on top of the lack of conditioning and the lack of time together and the precision, like you've seen a lot of quarterbacks throw guys into coverage, which, you know, a good quarterback typically doesn't do it. Right. And, um, yeah, football's a dangerous game, even when everything's going right. So we just – it sucks. Like the season was so promising. I had us pegged for ten wins. I had us going to the wild card. I re- I really believe that. You know me. I am not an optimistic person. <laughs> well, any optimism I had was quickly killed after the first two games, and not because of the scores, but just because of the injuries. Like I just, at this stage, I already feel deflated. I feel like the season's done. <laughs> you know, because yeah. by the time um, you get half of these guys back. Uh, it, it, it's going to be just in time for us to rebound and go 7-9 and nine, is how it feels. Right. And so I just, I don't know what to do at this point. Like We started talking about it when we won, when you and I were discussing what kind of topics to talk about. Like, one of the things that always comes up is to tank or not to tank. <laughs> and it's, yeah, and, and I don't know if we have a choice, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, this week, so... We play the Bucks this week, correct? Uh, I believe so, yes. 
so now Tom Brady has had his time to get in rhythm and and to to inside joke time gel with his with his team. So it's like great we can we can rally our season and turn them around when we play one of the most talented offenses in recent league history and Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, who is a, an offensive mastermind with our mash unit defense, who has played really well. Um, Fangio deserves a lot of credit for that. I, I will I will give him that. He's got his warts as a head coach, but I feel bad for him because, you know, he the first season didn't really go all that great for a variety of reasons. We looked like, you know, we had a shot to at least be competitive. And now, if he has a stinker of a season, you can't even blame him because it's like, I don't care if you resurrect Vince freaking Lombardi. You're not going to win when you have a third of your team on IR. Yeah, you know, it's funny about that first season is that, like, and even going into this season, like, last season, you know, the whole freaking quarterback issue, like, I just, why do we even bother going after Flacco? Like, I just, I don't get it. Um, I don't, I, I would have almost been better just taking another uh, backup like we have now with Driscoll or even Bortles. Like, I would have gone with that over Flacco just because I, I just felt Flacco was done. And I, even though I was hoping for the best, I just, I kind of knew that it wasn't going to be there. And then, as the season went on and on, I'm just like frustrated and pulling out what hair I have left, and it's just like ridiculous. Yeah, watching a a 35 year old guy hold on to the ball and misdiagnose the basic a gap blitz and get blown up, and then whine about the play calling. And you know me, I did not like skangs, but it's like, no man, like that's you, baby. Right. That was a three step drop, and you went step step stand stand and got blown up like that's that's don't don't yell at the tackle even though our tackles were very much not good that's yeah. you and you're a veteran why are you doing that yeah I, I think if i had been a quarterback coming into Denver's situation i would have to really research and evaluate what i'm coming into and like i don't care what quarterback you are you and i have talked about this in the past with manning and, and guys like that where if you have a line that's skeptical it's imperative that your quarterback can get rid of the ball with a fast release. And Flacco just never realized that. He came in thinking he can sit there all day and throw it. And it just doesn't happen that way, especially he, in Denver. He wanted to show off that, that arm. He, he still has the arm. I do not dispute that Joe Flacco can throw that ball real hard, real far. Mm-hmm. I dispute everything else. Right. He's not a dumb quarterback, but like he is not a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning. He's not going to sit there in real time, break down what the defense is doing, then break down the next most likely thing for them to do, then break down the perfect play that mitigates both of them and do a hot read. Like, that's never been his game. Yeah. Um, and so it wouldn't be fair for him to be expected to do that. But then again, that's not what we were asking him to do. We were asking him to be a game manager who can occasionally throw a rainbow bomb. And he could, I mean, he was as useful as a third elbow. Like, I was so happy to see him gone. Yeah, okay, so talking about Fangio, um, one of the things you mentioned was as we're going through all this, and this probably going beyond this season, is who are we going to hold more responsible if Denver fails, like, the next year or two? Fangio, Elway, who? 
And so, if you're going to blame someone, and this is what I was getting at, like, post-Super Bowl, L.A. has had some real stinkers of a draft, some drafts that looked promising and didn't pan out. Like, you look at the Shane Ray pick. I defend that, that, that. I love that pick then. It made perfect sense now. He had a great rookie season, and then everything just went to pot, right? And so you look at it, and you're like, well, he's had a couple good drafts recently, but, like, you don't truly know until three, four years down the line. And you look at it, and you go, it's time for us to get back in the postseason. And then you look at Fangs, and it's like, well, we sucked year one, but we sort of knew that we would. And we definitely knew that we would by week three, watching Flacco do Flacco things. <laughs> we can't hold this season against him with all the injuries, like, that doesn't really feel it's true, fair. especially when your starter goes down at quarterback. Von Miller is out. Bradley Chubb is back, but you wouldn't know it because he's basically rehabbing on the field. You you lose starting inside linebackers, and the only reason the secondary plays well is because in his scheme, you don't, you don't see him going after you know, elite cornerbacks because that's not what his scheme calls for. It calls for coverage linebackers and a pass rush that can be generated without blitzing a lot. It's a really sound scheme and you can do creative things with it and he's a creative guy. So you look at the way the defense is played and you're like, well, the collapses at the end of the game kind of suck, but the other teams aren't scoring a ton of points and we're missing a lot of players and you just look at it and so my answer would be if we have to hold someone accountable I guess it would be Elway because we do have a lack of depth and that is sort of on the GM then again you don't expect that like you look at wide receiver we have a great wide receiver depth thank god we do because all of them are hurt it's not Elway's fault it's just it's so frustrating because it was such a big season, but if I had to hold someone accountable, I would say Elway. That that would be my answer, but I'm not even that bullish on, on you know, that. And you, you've seen some of my stances on Elway. There have been times where I, I, I referred to one of his drafts as, I presume he was drunk. <laughs> I, I presume that he is still drunk. Like, some of those were just... Yeah, you know, there's a for me it's a little bit of both, and part of it is, I I there's a real I have a real concern. As much as I love Elway and grew up loving him, he, as far as like finding the next quarterback, I'm not sure if he really has the eye for it. Now I'm definitely thinking Locke is the best prospect we've had. Yeah. Um, but here it is. We're five years after the Super Bowl win, and we've kind of like taking guys that really we had no business taking. I, I, it's almost like we talk about all the time on the board that, you know, when teams go into every year of the draft and if they're starved for quarterbacks, sometimes they will reach. Uh-huh. And to me, I just, I don't know, I just would have rather not reach for, say, a guy like Paxton Lynch and would have gone somewhere else, even if it wasn't quarterback, and just got another retread for the time being. But it's kind of like Elway doesn't really have the eye that I thought he did. Um, again, that can all change with Locke. Uh, I was one that thought Osweiler might be the future, and I made the my you know my mock draft had him in it. But uh, with Fangio, I just 
I'm not sure if he's going to be our longtime coach. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm sold on him. He's going to have an excuse this year because of all the turmoil with the injuries. My only concern is we need, and it's not anybody's fault because, like you said, injuries, just you can't control that. But, like, what is the, what is the window we're going to have for Fangio? Is it going to be three to five years? Is it going to be a decade? Because at some point, we have to be able to keep these players on the field so they can get the chemistry needed to grow as a team. And unfortunately, Vaughn's not getting any younger. Now he's hurt for the rest of the year, so that's another dilemma. I think he's played the last season as a Bronco. I really do. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, and the thing is, he's so loved within Denver that next to Elway, like, he's the only guy that we've really had that was, like, the franchise guy, you know? Yeah, he, um... But we, I think, you know, I kind of go back, I think we've made a big mistake paying him all that money. It's not that he isn't worth it, but this, these are the problems that you run into down the stretch is when he's not on the it, field as much. And it, it, I'm really glad that you brought up Oz, because I want to give Elway credit on that. Oz was a good draft pick, right? If you, you People were like, oh, well, maybe he overpicked him. But the year after Oz was drafted, I, you know, the draft is a bit of a crapshoot. But I remember reading analyst after analyst saying, this quarterback class so weak that Osweiler would have been a first-round pick. So <laughs> Elway found uh, a guy with a big arm, a guy with a work ethic, and I'll get to why that matters in a second because the Paxson Lynch pick was so bad. Um and and so on and so forth. So after that Super Bowl, it really felt like Eloy was like, okay, I don't think that Brock is going to be the next me. But he played pretty well here. He has intangibles. He's definitely got an arm. He's he's not scared to get hit. You know, he has good attributes to him. He can be with a little luck an above average quarterback. We have a strong defense. Let's keep it going. And then. Houston was like, well, we're a horribly ran organization, and we would love to give you Tom Brady money. And Oz was like, yeah, that's that's 40, oh, God, I can't remember how much guaranteed it was. It was It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Yeah, like the salary each year wasn't that high, but the amount that was guaranteed and the cap hit and all that was just disrespectfully high, like for or, or not disrespectfully, like you would have thought that he was Cam Newton coming off of MVP or something. And so I was like, I'm not going to pay you that because that's stupid. And that's what started the trend or the, the, the cycle because it's like, okay, well, we still want a game manager quarterback. Let's see if Mark Sanchez can do that. No, nope, <laughs> he's Sanchez doing Sanchez things. They draft Paxton Lynch thinking they have time to coach him up. The pick made sense at the time. The Cowboys were trying to get him. And then it comes out three years later that Denver knew he had work ethic and attitude problems, but drafted him anyway. Paxton mm-hmm. Lynch had so much talent. So, so much talent. And the fact that it was wasted because he's lazy and a whiny crybaby. And you know me. I'm pretty, pretty light on players. I'm a pretty pretty um i would like to say lenient guy when it comes to players because it's just in my personality but i hate slackers (laughs) and i hate i hate slackers 
especially who have all the reason to work hard and just refuse to do it. And so when you draft a guy who has great talent, but it's not like he was Andrew, uh, you know, Luck. I almost called him Andrew Locke. Oh God, oh, that, would <laughs> that would be an interesting combination. I'd be, I'd be down to see what that looks like. But and you're like, okay, well, now we're gonna let Trevor Simeon play, and people are like, who's Trevor Simeon? I'll tell you who Trevor Simeon is. He has a noodle arm. He has, <laughs> he has some mobility. I will give him that. And he's a pretty smart guy. He went to Northwestern, but he panics constantly. And um, he has no NFL talent and was only drafted because Kubiak basically, this is my opinion and I'm not saying it's fact, but Kubiak basically looked at him and saw himself. And then a guy who was not even supposed to be drafted with injury histories is now in the NFL. And good for him. He's making a ton of money as a backup quarterback. I'm glad for him. It, it was a windfall, but watching him quarterback my beloved Denver Broncos was a satire. It was a satire as to what quarterbacking should have been. And all that time, the defense gets worse and worse <laughs> and worse, and then you need to re- uh, infuse a team with more and more young talent, and all of a sudden that team with Simeon that went 9-7, and seven, and you're like, oh, well, we lost some key pieces, but... Maybe we can keep it going. You lose some key pieces. Guys decline. Guys keep leaving in free agency. Guys get hurt. And all of a sudden, TJ Ward gets cut. Tlaib gets traded. And you're looking at the defense and you're like, okay, outside of Vaughn, what is it that we're actually good at? Not what was it that we used to be good at. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself here. And I'll close my point with with this. I was banging my head against the table going, look, if we were able to keep Oz, I would have loved to try to stay competitive. I would have, because that would have made sense. He could do enough on the field to keep the offense alive. Occasionally he can hit a big play. He could even scramble a little bit, and then he can at least make it so the defense doesn't have to do everything. But once we lost Oz, and once Matt Mark Sanchez showed that he was still the butt fumbler extraordinaire, and after we tried the Trevor Simeon experiment for one year, the fact that we didn't just blow up the team and try to rebuild it in two years, which is what you can do if you're savvy in the NFL, you see it all the time, it was it was literally in this I kept saying it, I kept getting hated on, and I you know, I'm not right about a lot. I'm just well spoken, but um Good God, man, the half-baked approach to we're going to rebuild but stay competitive, it, it just didn't work. Yeah, and yeah that was a very – that was oh. probably Ali's biggest foobar is that he kept thinking that somehow we were going to stay relevant while mishmashing the team together. And you can't do that with guys like Trevor, uh, Trevor uh, Orton there. And then, yeah. like, you know, the thing I liked about Brock – when he came out, and the reason why I put him in my mock draft is because he reminded me a lot size-wise of Ben Roethlisberger. Uh-huh. And, but yeah. then we then we kind of learned, though, as the season went on towards that, that last game of San Diego, that his mental capacity, like when he got benched from Manning, which really didn't have anything to do with him being a problem. Just Kubiak was trying to light a fire under the team. Yeah. He had two turnovers that weren't his fault. Sorry to interrupt, but That's all right. he threw a great pass. 
and it just it bounced off a wide receiver's hand. Right. And it was a pick. And he took that it personally, sucks. and that's the problem, is that he, he really was going to be the guy that was going to take over once Manning was gone. I guess he just couldn't see that. Yeah, he and that sack, that sack fumble he gave up, it was, I can't remember the exact specifics of it, but I, I, I do recall going or thinking our left tackle got beat, he got beat and sacked and hit from behind on like a three-step drop, yep. and he got crushed. It's like most quarterbacks are going to fumble. That's not your fault. But and Kubiak was just like, look, their defense is beating the crap out of us, at least with Manning. He can manipulate it. And then Manning threw like a 20-yard pass, but it was the ugliest, slowest-looking thing. But it only worked because he knew exactly what San Diego was going to do. And it's like, Brock, that's not you. You got bad luck, but we're just – we're fighting for number one seeding to, to, so we don't have to play the Patriots at Foxborough. And Kubiak was right. He owed it to the team to do everything he could that was reasonable to win. Yeah, and that's Kubiak that was the key goal. was that uh, it was for the number one seed. And I think if we'd already sewn up home field beforehand, they would have just left them in there. But at that yep. point, it was like we had to have that number one seed. Have to. Yeah. Because Manning in the cold weather sucks. Manning in the New England cold weather really sucks. Right, right. So, um, all right, so let's talk about a league because I know one of the players that you and I liked, and I've been looking at his stats so far, and I'm not that impressed, and I'm really kind of disappointed, is Kirk Cousins. Like, he has not progressed the way I thought he would this year. He, he, yeah, I had so... You know what, a second ago when I said, I'm not that smart, but I am well-spoken. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, guess guess which dummy had the Vikings go into the Super Bowl. Oof. Well, that wouldn't and, have been uh, a bad bet, but like, I don't think anyone really saw Kirk struggling as much picks. as he is right now. Yeah, Yeah, and he's, he's always been a... One of his strengths was, like, you and I both know that the whole criticism of he doesn't win big, big games is... is reductionist mm-hmm. and it's especially reductionist so it's like well he lost his two playoff games and it's like yeah but the first round he played against Aaron freaking Rodgers and he was basically a rookie so like give him like some some you know he wasn't the quarterback getting spanked you know he was the, the quarterback trying not to get eaten by Clay Matthews right so when you look at Kirk Cousins last year he wins the playoff games he's He's efficient. He can play a game manager style, but he can also rack up some pretty big numbers, and they're not just bloated. You know, he can do a lot of good things. He's in his best years. He's been a top ten quarterback, probably nine or ten. He's typically, I would say, between uh, eleven and fourteen. But there's because court, the leagues change. You have so many good quarterbacks playing longer. That's much more impressive than it used to be. Right, right? like. It used to be quarterbacks retired when they were 33. Tom Brady's like, I don't know, 60, however, however old he is. So, it's, so it is more impressive to say, oh, he's between uh, 10 and 15 than it used to be. But it, it's like, I swear to God, it's like he woke up one night and he was like, my God, the NFL is always wide open, but it's especially wide open. Right. And the teams that have an advantage are teams that have stuck together. And we have continuity. This truly is our year, and it was like, yeah, I'm a wet the bed. Yep, I'm uh, I'm just, I'm gonna look at an overrated Bears team. I'm gonna look at a, I'm gonna look at a, uh, 
decent, a pretty solid Packers team, but they're not great. And then I'm going to look at the Lions, and I'm like, nope, can't beat that. I'm just going to shit myself and roll around in it because <laughs> I don't know. Like some of those passes, that those some of those picks that he's thrown, it's like that's not a Kirk Cousin pick. Like we – some quarterbacks are just infamous for some of the bad throws they make. Like Cutler. Cam Newton <laughs> won the MVP, but some of the passes he throws, you're like, you overthrew Greg Olson by eight yards, right? And eight feet, you know. And, and Kirk Cousins, he doesn't. I'm not saying that he's Joe Montana, but he's. I don't know what happened. Like, I don't, maybe his wife's leaving him. I don't know. Maybe he tried to vegan <laughs> diet. He's just awful. And I feel bad for going like, no, Denver should have signed him. Like, last year I felt good about Kirk Cousins and being a proponent of him. So This I. year, I just, I feel like, I feel like I should be wearing the Dunce hat. <laughs> Speaking of Newton, though, like, he's probably the biggest surprise this year for me. I'm rooting for him. Now, granted, now, granted, I look at his stats, he's not throwing the longest passes, but he's very... Uh, he's doing a very good job game managing and allowing the team around him to play well. So I think that really plays into his favor. And he is taking that physical abuse. Like Belichick was like, no, guys, I'm not going to have him run 15 times or whatever it was week one. Right. But I am going to have him run. And, you know, you can tell those two like one another. It doesn't surprise me because Belichick has had a history of liking you know, off-the-wall types of guys. Like, he and Chad Johnson used to be really, really close. Um, for instance, he just has that sort of personality where he can take some of those big personality guys and and he's like, okay, I get you. I understand what you're saying. Try it this way. And it's like almost like a mentorship. But Belichick's also like, yeah, I'm going to need you to run over that linebacker. And Cam Newton's like, it's what I do, baby! Sure, <laughs> make the goal line! I made him muscle and aggression. Let's go. And it's, I like Cam Newton. He can be a bit much. He can be a bit melodramatic. But at his heart, I think he's a good person. Um, and I I like Belichick. I feel kind of dirty saying that. But I, I, I like how intellectual he is. I like how forward-thinking he is about, like, going forward on fourth down, short yardage, all that stuff. And so... I hate the Patriots. I really dislike their owner, but I, I do get some joy out of everyone going, Cam Newton is awful, he can't play, he's washed out, and he's not what he was, but, I mean, in a, in a league where Ryan Fitzpatrick is still a quote-unquote starting quarterback, <laughs> so is Cam Newton. Yeah, I've never been a big Cam fan, although I did like him in Auburn, but... Uh... You know, I just think there's some limitations to his game, but he's lucky enough that he's big enough that he can withstand a lot of the punishment that some of these more and lanky... out some punishment. Like, R- right, I imagine right. it sucks tackling him. But I, I don't know if there's any quarterback right now that's really talented. Like, I look at... I've watched, you know, Mahomes a little bit, and he's he's been struggling a little bit. I mean, he's... You know, obviously, yeah. Kansas City's still a machine, but... You can see he's still rusty, too. So I think a lot of this is just affecting everybody. Is it Wilson? I mean, Wilson came out as the the odds-on favorite to win the MVP after his crazy performance last week. Wilson? Which one is that? um, Oh, oh, yeah. Or even Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Five touchdowns? Yeah. So I think it's like, if I had to say the quarterbacks who are playing really well right now, 
Um, so many of them aren't. Like Drew Brees hasn't looked great. I don't think he's looked as bad as people are saying. Um, no, I think you know him and Brady. You know, I think age is just starting to catch up. So you're starting to see some of those flaws in him. They're there for the playoffs. And yeah, that's yeah. Really well said. What you you know what you just said is like, look, this is not. This is not throwing for almost 6K yards, Drew Brees. And if right. you expected that, then you're so optimistic and you're probably a wonderful person, but no. <laughs> um, it, uh, <clears throat> Russell Wilson's done really well. Um, Jared Goff's played well. I have not seen him play yet. I haven't seen Rodgers play either, so I don't really know what's going on there. Rodgers has looked... Um, He's looked really good and efficient. He has hit a couple of those patented um, crazy deep ball throws or the, the deep, on uh, you know, break the plays breaking down throws. I don't know if it's just, you know, older quarterbacks always look better physically at the beginning of the year. Yeah. They don't have that wear and tear. Rodgers has looked pretty good. Um, one guy who's looked really good, his team has just failed him, and I feel so bad for him because he's such a tough son of a bitch. Matthew Stafford. <laughs> Matthew Stafford, week, week one, against a good Bears defense, is he's out there doing everything he can to carry that cesspool of a franchise on his shoulders. But it, he but, takes them down. But isn't he still <laughs> throwing, like, bad picks? He threw – he had one really bad pick, but he hit this beautiful throw that would have won the game to DeAndre Swift. Yeah. I think he's the, the running back out of Oh, yeah, Georgia. and he dropped it. I saw that play. Yeah, and it's and that play was... There was another bad drop, I think, in that game, or it might have been the next week. So Stafford, I'm not saying that he's played great. He, he has played well. But it's like, um, when you remember when Locke hit Ju, uh, Judy those two times in week one, and you're like, oh, that was a beautiful throw, and he should have been long gone for chunky yards or a score? Yeah. That's been Matthew Stafford's entire season thus far. And I just, I feel so bad for him. He loves being a Lion. I don't I don't know why. That, um, that's what I think I'm most confused by is that I thought for sure that he would take his services elsewhere like a couple of years ago. I'm like, what? I thought he was going to be a Patriot. I thought that that's going to be, that's who was going to replace Brady. I thought and, he was going to um, be a Bronco. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. It's I feel so bad for him. I remember watching that guy score a game-winning touchdown with a separated shoulder on Thanksgiving, to, to, and they were like a two-win team, and he was just trying so hard. Yeah. Like, that guy's so tough, and he's such a gamer. He cares so much about winning. He won in high school. He won um, in college. He went to freaking Georgia, and it's like he gets to the NFL, and he looks at Calvin Johnson, and he looks at uh, a couple of nice skill position players. And he looks at that defensive line with Indomitian and Sue, and he's like, yup, time to get some playoff wins, baby. No, sir. Absolutely not. You get nothing. You will like it. And it just, I feel so bad for him. Now, granted, he's very well paid, so I'm, I'm happy for him in that sense. But, uh, Yeah, he, are, he really got just hate being in Detroit. You got to hate it. But, he, you know, more power to him for sticking it out. Hey, Barry Sanders retired early for a reason. That's all. Yeah, you're right. Calvin well, Johnson. Yeah, same with Calvin Johnson. Yeah, they all like, hey, I don't care. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm just retiring. I'm good. I'm going to the Hall of Fame. That's where I'm going <laughs> <Yeah>. later. <laughs> I'll get that gold jacket in five years. So let's Deuces. speak. Let's speak about who hasn't looked so great. Um, I've seen. I think maybe 
A game and Baker a half. Mayfield. Yeah, you, you beat me to it. Yep. <laughs> Mr. Mayfield and the Brownies. Yeah. Uh, I think they're probably um, the biggest disappointments of the year so far. He, I mean, I will say this. He looked good against the Bengals. But when it, uh, there is a film breakdown I watched. And um, it's not to say that he didn't play well against the Bengals. But some of those really impressive throws mm-hmm. in real time. Right. You break down the film. Did not look so good. Or they weren't that uh, incredible. Uh, uh, there are a couple other quarterbacks who, like, you look at Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. He's played well. They're 0-2. Falcons still haven't recovered from that Super Bowl loss. Um, let's, let's talk about your boy Carson Wentz. Oh, man. He <laughs> has... Uh, so, we are not we don't do excuses for the offensive line, right? <laughs> like, unless, unless the line is, like, Unless the line is like David Carr, Texans bad. Oh, God. And, and, and you're, yeah, like R.I.P. Because he, <laughs> he's, he's dead. I, I, that's, that's a reanimated corpse. He's had, he's lost, I think, two tackles and blah, blah, blah. Like the line's really bad. They've had a ton of, of, of issues. Whatever. I get it. It is not a good situation. However, when you are an MVP candidate or were an MVP, and you took your team to the playoffs the year before, and you have pretty good skill position players, and your division is hot garbage, and that is exactly what that division is, because that, I mean, the the Redskins, I think, are leading the division right now, and that team sucks. Their defensive line is great, but that team sucks. There is no excuse. No, No one wants to hear it. No one wants to hear, well, I don't have time to make my throws. Well, they're not calling seven-step drops when... You know, I've watched some of those games. They're they're calling a couple five step drops. I'm not a fan of that when you have half your line on IR or whatever it is. But he needs to be playing better. He should be playing better. He's missing throws. He's also not, you know, running when he should. He's holding on to the ball a little too long. I'm not saying that he shot. I'm not saying that the Carson Wentz era is over or they should have kept Nick Foles because we, we know what happened to Nick Foles. He can't even beat out Mitch Trubisky for a freaking job. <laughs> right. um, but he, like, you're the man. That's your team. You have to do better. If he was – like, I'm looking at his stats right now, um, and it is not acceptable. Like, it can't be. Like, let me let me pull it up. Oh boy, yeah, it's it's just ugly, and I don't understand some of the things that he he's done. Like right now, this year he has two touchdowns; those both came in the first half of Week One, and four picks. You can't, and he's completing fifty nine percent. If you round up, fifty nine percent of his passes. That would have been great in the freaking seventies, but like, no, you can't do that. Well, somebody wants to say hi to you. Oh, I hope it's I hope it's Nico. Hi. Hey, Nico. Hi. Good wishes. I'm thinking about you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I explained him a little bit about your personal issues going on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been kind of rough since I got back from France. So we're all hoping that everything goes the best it can go, and uh, yeah, sorry I missed out on being on the podcast 
earlier, but I've just been kind of run ragged. No, lately. you're you're taking care of. You're doing what needs to be done, and, and God love you for it. So mm-hmm. I'll be thinking of you, and yeah, um, you know, you're a really good person, and I, I hope everything works out for you and yours because you guys deserve nothing but happiness. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Neko was one. Neko was one of the ones that was like giving me shit for saying I wasn't going to watch football this year. I was. I. I mean, I even the, the Broncos. You know, they're like. A even big though fat, I found myself oh, doing it anyway. They're a big yeah. fat zero and two, and I'm still watching them again. So like, I. It. It's just for me personally. I love football, and I never really liked it until I met DJ Anubis, and we watch it all the time. Just we'll watch old games, so like I know oh, that's always fun. Yeah, that's always fun. So, Even like obscure regular season games from like nineteen ninety three. I got some of those on DVD. Yeah, he got some, which really cracked me up. He's like, I got this one. Remember the season when we really kicked Kansas City's ass and I'm like how do you even remember this and like so we really that game was not hard to forget <laughs> Shannon Sharp trolled the fuck out of Derek Thomas that night so, it was so just... who who is who? which division rival do you two hate the most Chiefs the Chiefs and then like oh. if I get mad at him I always say that I'm gonna be a Chiefs fan <laughs> yeah. like oh <laughs> that's 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 rough. So I'm in. Uh, I live in Central Illinois, and when I'm and when COVID's not around, and I'm actually in physically in law school, I'm in Southern Illinois, which is only five hours or so from Kansas City. Oh, and um, there's a lot of cheese fans. I bet. Um, there it's interesting because they're not the most annoying fan base that I've encountered. I still remember the time at Buffalo Wild Wings in the parking lot where two different Steeler fans tried to fight me, mm-hmm. quite quite literally, because yeah. um, they're classy. But for, for me, it's the Raiders. I hate the Raiders. I hate, I you know, I'm not speaking ill of the dead with Al Davis. I'm not going on disrespectful thing. But I like, will. When he was alive, those lawsuits against the league were just so whiny, and he was just so combative to be combative. Raiders fans, you know, it's like the, oh, we're so tough and so badass. We're the the black hole. And it's like, you're a bunch of lawyers and doctors cosplaying as badass. Like, <laughs> go away. Like, no one's scared of you. Like, there's scary, there's scary things in Oakland and Las Vegas or Los Angeles, wherever you're going to, you know. They're in Nevada. Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lost whatever. You know, in 20 years, they'll be in Sacramento. Like, I, they can't, they get booted or they leave all the time because no one, Stands them, but for me, it's the Raiders. I hate John Gruden. I, I, I Chuck hate it. John Gruden, actually. Oh, God, he's so annoying. Like, John Gruden is like, he's like one, he's like one incident away from a heart attack. Like, I bet he, I bet he orders, you know, food at the drive through, like, I need a number one with a Diet Coke and I, uh, no ice. It's like, just like, it's like, stop yelling. Like, why are you always yelling? How have you not had an aneurysm by now? I think, honestly, for me, the the most, I mean, clearly, we live in Baltimore and we go to a lot of Ravens games, even if the Broncos are not playing. Clearly, when there's a Steelers game, they, they bust them down to Baltimore and it's like a big rivalry, but the, 
in Baltimore, they're really strict. Like, when you're in the stadium, if you start acting up, a security guard will escort you out or put you in jail, like, immediately. Yeah. But for, for me, it's the Eagles fans. Like, whenever... We don't even care. Like, an Eagles-Ravens game doesn't even count, but they come because Philadelphia is two hours from here. They drive down, and they act like it's their stadium. They have a jail <laughs> in their stadium. Yeah. Like, they're yes, they do. So it's, with, a ju- with a judge. They have a court. Oh, exactly. that's great. <laughs> they are they insane. The so speaking of 2-0 like, and oh, teams, you, you've got the Raiders. you got the Bills. Tennessee. Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. I I was talking about the teams that are undefeated right now. Some surprises in there. The Bills, uh, the Ravens, Steelers, Titans, Chiefs, Raiders, uh, Packers, Bears, Arizona, Rams, and Seahawks. Uh, Who's that new guy with with Arizona, though? That's Kyler Murray. Yeah, he's playing really well. Pretty sharp, yeah. And DeAndre Hopkins is never a bad thing to have on your offense. Dude, that Texans. is like the best pickup ever right there. I mean, I, I'm not I, surprised by that. I don't understand how the Texans ever make the playoffs because they, I don't know who their who their GM is. I know that their owner was um, a character. Um, well, the owner the that. owner is the one that paid Osweiler all the money without O'Brien even knowing. Mm-hmm. Without they didn't even. Yeah, I think they're still they're McNair. still paying Brock right now. Like <laughs> them and the Browns. Yeah, I think he passed, but he paid him all that money without even they interviewed over the phone. He didn't even meet him in person. Right, so I was like that is the most Houston Texan thing to do. And I I, mean, every time like, I look if, at Sean somebody... Watson, I'm like, I'm so sorry. And then you have a guy like Watson, who's like a great quarterback, and then you take away his best weapon <laughs> in Hopkins. And he plays it with Brandon Cooks. And it's like, Cooks is a good player. He is a good player. But he is... He's not yeah. Hopkins. <laughs> no, no one's DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins, like, the way that he jumps, he would have thought that... You remember Antonio Gates, and people were like, he played basketball, that's why he leaps so well. And it's like, well, DeAndre Hopkins is like, I can do that. But I can also run a four-five, and I'm freaking huge, and I can run precise routes, and I will hit a wide receiver so hard when I'm blocking that his mom's fucking vagina will hurt. Yeah, yeah no, trade me away, trade me away, because clearly, even though I carried you to the freaking playoffs, and all we had was a defense and and some random schmuck as our quarterback, clearly I'm the issue here. All right, well let's uh, let's start to wrap this up. So. If you had to guess, I'm going to ask each of you since Neko's here. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is your Super Bowl favorites to make it this year? We'll start with Neko. Um, honestly, uh, Arizona. Okay. Believe it or not. Um, <sighs> so that's your NFC pick. And, um, we'll see, shoot. Because I like the Rams, too. I think they're looking good, too. Well, they're all undefeated. I mean, the <sighs> Hawks, Hawks are right there. All three of them are tied for the division right That's now. the hardest part. Uh, but I, I really... It's kind of sad because the Ravens are playing really well again this year. And because it's here in my face and I hear listen to it on the radio. And you see, like, the stats. They have another really great shot, you know. Um... So do the Seahawks. Like, this is just really crazy because I feel like there's a line. And it's like you're either really good and competitive or you're really terrible like the Broncos. Right, just pick. 
All right. Uh, <laughs> Arizona and the Ravens. Okay, so Arizona and Baltimore. All right, poet. What you weird. got? Uh, I'm gonna say Seattle, and the, the basis on that is. I really like a lot of the teams out in the NFC. I think there's a lot of really good teams. But this doesn't feel like a year where anyone is head and shoulders better than anyone in the NFC. And so at that point, I'm just going to trust arguably the best quarterback in football, even with Mahomes, and that's Russell Wilson. And then out of the the AFC – I'm going to – I don't think the Chiefs will repeat because they – they get behind the eight ball too often. They're kind of cocky. And I want to say the Ravens because Lamar Jackson's a monster, but he's not been good in the playoffs. So I guess I am literally, and this sucks, I I really don't want to say it, but uh, I'm going to have to literally go with Kansas City. No! I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, and your picks are exactly like mine. I think it, if I had to pick right now, the Seahawks are playing probably the best football I've seen. And Russell Wilson Kansas City's starting a little rough out the gates, but, you know, Mahomes, he is like a whole other dimension for that team. I mean, obviously, if they lose along the way and, like, don't make the playoffs or like, get kicked out of the playoffs, I'll be happy as a clam. But they are I'm the team so that's... They are the team you have to beat, and even though the Ravens have Lamar, I just I'm not sure if they're ready to take that that leap yet. They might be, because maybe you know, he had some, you know, from the experience last year. He's got a little bit more under his belt. Well, and... the question for Lamar has always been: he starts out really hot, really hot, and then like as the season progresses, uh, for whatever reason, if we get in the colder weather, like it seems like he's not as good as he usually is. He, uh, even though against Tennessee, he had a really good game. Yeah. Uh, in the end, it was the ball control of Tennessee that like, outdid them. So, and arrogance, because like they came in thinking that they were gonna roll Tennessee. Right. They I, were the number one seed, and they had uh, beaten. I think they had MVP. I guess this is what it comes down to, Lamar, for me, because I thought that he was worth a late first round pick. And when the Ravens picked him, I was like, if he's gonna work anywhere, it's Baltimore, because they're just a really good organization he is a better pocket passer than I thought he would be Mm -hmm. he's a workaholic he's got those intangibles he's the anti-Paxton Lynch (laughs) Paxton Lynch if by any chance you ever hear this I hate you Um, (laughs) I need to see him I don't think he runs too much I think that they do a good job of controlling that he's also a diehard competitor so he's always going to do what he can to win the game I need to see him have a playoff game where he can just be above average where he doesn't feel like because in the playoffs it's not like he just forgot how to play football it just looks like he forces things he's like I have these expectations I'm doing really well I have this great team and it's like he needs to ease up a little bit if he can just relax a little bit and not feel like he has to do everything by himself, he's going to be okay. Yeah, he's got to trust in the team he has around him, and he's got a lot of great talent there. So, Yeah, I'd have picked the Steelers if I thought Big Ben could last a season. Yeah, there's there's a lot of outliers. I mean, I Missy uh, Neko and I have talked about uh, sort of pulling for Brady <laughs> to get there <laughs> with Tampa Bay. 
just to stick it to Kansas City if they do, they do meet. But uh, that would be so funny. Uh, <laughs> did you hear the Gronk quote today? No. I. He said. He said. A reporter asked him, like, how come you're not catching the ball? And Gronk's response was, I'm here to block, baby. Like, I think Gronk missed playing football, and he just hated being around Belichick. <laughs> uh, I really think. I I honestly think that's what it was. But I I just. Oh, Tom Brady, if he wins another Super Bowl, check on me, because I might, oh, I hate him so much. I really do. I, I hate Tom Brady. Wow, there's a lot of people to in your company. All right, sir, I appreciate you calling in. It was a lot of fun talking to you as usual. Thanks for having me. It was a blast, and um, I've been listening to some more metal again, so, you know, a little while. Uh, I'd like to share my thoughts with you about it, and uh, I, uh, oh God, if we, God, please let us win this week, and please, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty please. Like, if we, if we get another star player who gets hurt, oh, I'm yeah, just going to watch basketball, I guess, because fuck me, that's how I feel. Yeah, it's, it's really getting, I mean, I still enjoy a lot of football, but like, Watching Denver just like cripple under themselves right now is just horrible. It's like Von Miller out. Everybody before out. before I even got started. Yeah, out. All yeah. of our people out. Bradley Chubb on a snap count. By the way, shout out to Jaded for calling that. We I have to give him props when he did. He was the only one saying that that's what it was going to be with Bradley Chubb, and he he was correct. So shout out Jaded. I'm I'm sure this means nothing to you because you're a bitter, angry man. But you you did call it. I love him for what it's worth. Yeah, I do love you. Thanks for having me, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll do it again sometime. I love you both nearly and dearly. Go Broncos. Fuck the Chiefs. Fuck the Chiefs. Fuck the ghost of Al Davis. (laughs) Fuck the Chargers. Yeah, basically fuck them all. Fuck them all. Go Broncos. All right. Later, my friend. All right, buddy. Take care. See ya. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. So Edgar Allan Poet there joining us, and that was a lot of fun. Talking some sports. Now we're going to get back into our music. Kicking off the block. Brand new Fentroll. Here we go.
DJ Nubis, back with you, Meltdown Radio. Want to say again, thanks to Edgar Allan Poe for joining us. Talk a little sports. I know we went on there a little bit long, but uh, it's always fun. Uh, just bullshitting a little bit. Don't get much to do that on on the air. So always fun to have him on, talking various things, and hope you enjoyed that. All right. So still to come, new stuff from him and frowning as well as neuromoral dissonance 
Also got a block of Privateer, Blind Guardian, and Judas Priest, but I wanted to get to first and foremost my last topic of the day. It's a new season of The Boys, season two. If you haven't watched this on Amazon Prime yet, it's all about superheroes that are big assholes, pretty much. So season one, we talked about it a few episodes back. Uh, I broke that down. Season two has us where basically the group of guys who are being basically rebels between Huey, uh, Butcher, Billy the Butcher, and whatnot, they're all on the run. Uh, there's some dissension and a bit of a shake-up at the, the seven status quo between the seven top superheroes led by a Homelander. And, of course, we also understand and learn from the season one ending that uh, Butcher's wife is still alive. She has a kid, and the kid actually belongs to Homelander, who, going by her, raped her. I don't know if we actually know if that actually happened legitimately or not, because there's always this weird twists and turns that can come about and I think right now in season two they're releasing an episode like every week so seasons or episode six out there now but it's not quite done the whole series is not done for the season so we have to wait each week <clears throat> I think they're having eight episodes but um what we're learning is that Butcher has like a real poor attitude when it comes to soups is the nickname they give superheroes and because his son has showed signs of being a superhero or, you know, powers, he's not real keen on trying to keep the kid. He's trying to get his wife to run away with them, and she's not doing it because she wants to keep the kid, obviously. So there's some tension there with that. Uh, Huey is sort of trying to rekindle his relationship with uh, Starlight, one of the seven, who's a superhero there. Uh, obviously the other guys involved there's there's also these side uh, side I guess side quests you'd call it where uh, some soups now we discover are being created to be terrorists super terrorists, super villains and uh, that's also throwing a wrench into a lot of what's going on as the government is trying to control the, the seven and superheroes when it comes to how they're used in the military etc so season two's out it's got six episodes out there now they have eight they're going to do all together it's very cool it's graphic um which is cool i like when we don't have to worry about the pg rating and stuff not everything has to be for kids this is for adults although i'm sure kids watch it anyway i would be so uh, that's out there. Check it out. Boys Season 2. Get back to the music. I'll be back after a few songs. We're going to close this bitch out soon. This is The Privateer, Gunpowder Magic.
Bandy Thorne. You're listening to the Hordes of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Pump it.
Alright, DJ New is back with you. Getting ready to close out this edition of Hordes of Chaos, episode 83. Hope you all enjoyed the new music, topics, as well as Edgar Allan Poet, who paid us a visit. It, well, it's not a liner, but it's a new bed. voiceover. Yes. It's a new bed. Oh! It's called the band's called White Bat Audio, but the tune is called Shin Godzilla. <laughs> it's so perfect. I love your new bed. I'm so sorry. I I just do this. I'm not supposed to be participating, but I take over. No, she 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 can come back whenever she wants. Uh, but like we said, you know, when you're ready to go full force. But it was nice to have Neko pop in. It's always nice when she can give some input. And I do miss her for shows. Maybe next week if we uh, can pull it off on a Saturday, maybe? because That's not really a problem. We're going to have a lot of great stuff. We're going to have some new Arian, Deftones, Gorophilia, Cataclysm, Mad Ross, Perverser, Raven, Scordatura, new stuff. Oh, I love Scordatura! Skeptical, the Infernal Sea, just a lot of shit coming your way, so it'd be great to have uh, Neko Let's in there. Let's do it next Saturday instead of Friday because that... will give you time to get through the music and all that, so... Yeah, exactly, and it works better with the schedule with, you know, all the things going on. But, uh, special thanks to Sky Nielsen Promotions, as always, much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, so we're gonna... And also, you you already said Edgar Allan Poet, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. I'm back. I'm back on dry land. I miss being on the podcast. I love I love DJ Anubis. He's my favorite DJ ever. He's my fave. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna leave you with some neuromoral dissonance. It's called Filth, and I will see you all next week as well as Neko. Peace out. <laughs>